Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. Um, My guest today hails originally from Zimbabwe and then South Africa. His name is Clive Schiff. He's a professor now in the Department of Molecular Microbiology and Immunology at Johns Hopkins University. And he's been studying uh, tropical parasitic diseases like schistomyosis, if I can if I can pronounce that right, and uh, malaria, etc. So, Cliff, thank or Clive, thanks for coming. How are you doing? It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So, um, how long have you been studying infectious diseases, and you know what got you interested in them? Well, you know, I I went to school in what was then Salisbury uh, during the war, um, and we were a bit starved at the schools for 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 um, good information because. uh, uh, most of the teachers were in the army and stuff like that. So I didn't get much exposure to science. But um, when when we actually started um, chemistry and, and physics, I, I began to realize that this is something that I want to do. And so when I finished at school, I went to South Africa to university in Natal, in, in Peter Maritzburg. And um, I uh, took... Uh, as my main subject, chemistry and zoology. And zoology introduced me to, you know, the world and the world of animals. And um, so at the back of my mind was, this is all exciting and great. You go down to the uh, seaside and you can collect all these beautiful animals, strange things. What the hell am I going to do back home? And it became clear to me that I had to specialize in entomology um, because there were not, I mean, there were no um, opportunities to work in science. And the main employer of scientists in, um, in, in the country at that time was the government. And so that's what you had to, so you had to sort of uh, look at um, what sort of opportunities would arise. So I then left at the University of Natal, and I went to Grahamstown, which is in the Eastern Cape. Uh, The university is called Rhodes University, and it is still called Rhodes University, and I was there a couple of months um, last year. As a matter of fact, I got got an award from them. um, Is that uh, the the same as the Rhodes Scholar? Is that where it comes from? The Rhodes Scholar comes from Cecil Rhodes. And actually, uh, yeah, well, he was... one can go into into an interesting diversion here because he was he was a brilliant man and he had great great sort of projections of of politics in the world. But uh, actually, the headquarters of the Rhodes uh, Rhodes Scholarships is at is at Oxford. Not not it's not in Africa at all. But anyway, oh. I went to Rhodes University because they had a specialist course in in entomology, and I did my master's in entomology. So when I came home, I was 
there, there were opportunities. Um, and I started to work on, um, so it, it, in, in, in uh, Zimbabwe at that time, there was a disease called sleeping sickness, which mm. is... Um, they testified, that's right. So so I, I, I had learned entomology, so I joined the entomologists that were there. And we, uh, we the government was trying to eliminate testify, uh, sleep, uh, yeah, eliminate sleeping sickness. And the way to do that, the only way to do that at that stage was to get rid of the testy flies, because there's no drug that was effective um, for sleeping sickness. And the problem with sleeping sickness is that it affects, it, it, it also affects animals. I mean, there, there are several different parasites. So there are, they're all transmitted the same way um, through the tsetse fly bite. And, and um, so we had to go out into the bush. And so I lived for two years in the bush with wild animals oh, all wow. around. And I... <laughs> Oh. Mm, it was, What's a, a couple of questions here? So, what does sleeping sickness do to the person or the animal? Well, it it causes it causes a, uh, deb- a debilitating disease, and it's in in most cases it's lethal. Some animals have um, now wild animals are the host of the the, the parasite, which are, are, are triplosomes. And it has no effect on on them at all because it's adapted to their physiology. But um, in domestic cattle, sheep, goats, dogs, cats, anything, um, in all mammals that that have not been exposed to it are susceptible. And um, it causes it, it it doesn't put you to sleep. It, it causes um, a, a debilitating disease that. Is way you know the body wastes and after about six months you you die um, and it's terrible it is when I was there they had a drug a, a drug that they could use but they would half the time it killed it killed the patients and and the, but if if you, it didn't kill you it would have worked once and they wouldn't let you go back into Tetsi fly area again. Otherwise, if you got reinfected, that would be the end of the line. So, is a is a, a tetsi fly um, administering a bacteria or a virus or a parasite? What is it? It's a parasite. It's a it's a trypanosome. The trypanosome parasites are are extremely um, diverse. They they can occur in plants because they there are trypanosomes that live. In plants, particularly plants that have got like rubbery um, uh, a sap, um, and it's it's the, the tsetse flies get infected by by biting wild animals that have got the the, the, the parasite, or of course animals that have that, that are going to die, and the, and these tsetse flies live for about nine months or so. They're very long lived animals. And so, rate of infection is is high, and so they they're extremely good to in transferring the disease. But at that stage, it was a guy who joined the the veterinary department, um, who who came from Cambridge in England as an entomologist, and he was working in the field, and he found that um, the tsetse flies are attracted. 
very much to odor from cattle. And this is the 1960s. I mean, people have, have got very sophisticated equipment now to look for what they call olfaction, um, attraction of, of hosts, in, of biting animals to, to the host. And he, he found that um, a simple chemical called octanol had attracted these tsetse flies. And um, you could make a trap with a, a gauze screen about a meter square and spray insecticide on that and take a little plastic, you, you know, they, buy, they sell um, for kids little tubes of, of, of colored water in, in plastic and you fr- freeze it and then suck it. They take the same plastic. Oh, yeah, I remember those. Yeah, and hang that up next to the cage. And these flies come in drove because they, yeah. they smell the octanol and, and, and it's been successful. Tessie flies are almost eliminated from Southern Africa. There's very few left. Oh, wow. Is there a, mm. a, a Tessie fly repellent? No, no, it's not a repellent. It, it, no, no, it's I mean, an attractant. No, I that, know, but what if you had um, an attractant on one side of the house and then a repellent on the other side of the house so that you know, you'd, you'd attract well, and repel at the same time to different spots. It, 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 these things will bite, will bite you like hell. I mean, if they, when they're hungry, you'd have to have a, a powerful repellent. Um, no, they, they, they successful, and this is being used now for mosquitoes as well, um, to try and find what attracts mosquitoes to humans because the mosquitoes are also transmitting malaria and other diseases, but but it's much more sophisticated now. There are people that are dissecting into the brain of a mosquito to find out how 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 the the, the actual nerves are responding to these. What what my friend Glenn failed did he he dug made he he dug a huge hole and and in the ground. Um, when I say that, I mean big, uh, about the size of an, an apartment, and they had wow. cattle down there, mm. and they had fans that that blew the air from over the cattle, and then out through tubes into the environment, and and that the tsetse flies would come to those um, those tubes, and this is how he he worked it out. So really, that it it. it that was interesting. I mean, I wasn't involved in that because after two years in the bush, I was either going to go nuts or should change into something else. And I started to yeah. work on, on, on other parasites because I joined the Ministry of Health then and we were, they were interested in, in other um, um, problems. You know? but always, well, would you mind, um, would you mind hmm? talking about your time in the bush? I mean, what did you... Like, how did you not get infected by a million parasites being out there? And what did you do out there? <laughs> well, we we lived in in very Spartan quarters. They actually had an aluminium houses, sheet aluminium. Here you call it aluminium, but in the rest of the world it's aluminium. But sheets that were all bolted together like an octagon and and a roof. And you slept, you slept under inside this. And right. with the temperature outside, it's very hot. You could cook inside these, um, they call it tents. 
Yeah, but there were you have to be protected because there were leopards and lions in the area. I had I had a leopard run around my my house trying to get in because my dog was inside with me and the leopard wanted a meal. So I mean, we the dog must have been barking its head off, right? And the dog was barking its head off. Yes. And then, of course, Jumbo, we have lots, there are lots of elephants and rhino and things like that. I mean, I've, I've had confrontations with all of these animals um, That's cool. That's in amazing. walking through the bush. Yes. You learn a lot and, and it makes you feel very um, insecure. insecure. Yeah, what, what, did it, um, what did you notice about a leopard or a rhino or all these other animals? Like, you know, what did you feel like and what did you sense from them when you saw them? Like, with, you know, were you truly in danger some of the times? And again, what, what did you sense when you were in the presence of these animals? Well, the thing about the hippo is that they're, they're not aggressive, but when they're frightened, they, get, they, they run. And the vegetation in, in areas where they live is, is very, very dense. So these animals can be a few yards away from you. In a, in a thicket that you can't see, and suddenly they will run out. And if you're in the way, they'll knock you down. I mean, they're, they're not looking to, <laughs> to attack you, but um, <laughs> you've got to be nimble. <laughs> this happened to me once too. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a, a different world to live in. Um, you're very much on your own. We were out in the, in, in the bush for about three months at a time, and then we were allowed to come to a little town to get, um, uh, you know, food and, and groceries and things like that, and then we had to go back to the camps because we were trying to control the tsetse flies. And that, that whole process morphed into using traps and uh, chemical attractants, and that, it, that has worked. I mean... In, in that part of the world, there, there's malaria, and you have to worry about that. We, we took anti-malarials when, when I was in the bush, and, but, but that's not a way to solve the problem of malaria in the population. So the government right. had decided to control malaria. And um, in fact, some of the initial work in actually controlling malaria started in 1930. Well, the... the there was an entomologist who came out to Rhodesia in 1932, and he stayed there for about three years studying the mosquitoes. And then he left a very detailed uh, report on what he did. But there were no insecticides. The insecticides only came after the war. And the, uh, the, the, the people in, in the Ministry of Health got hold of the special insecticide from from the UK, no, it was from the US, and they, they called it DDT, and uh, we found that you could spray it on the walls of the house, and the mosquitoes, the mosquitoes that transmit malaria tend to feed indoors, and when they've taken blood, they have to, they have to, they sit on the wall of the house or on curtains or something like that, to, so that they can digest the food and fly away, because the mosquito is very small, and when it when it bites, it almost you know four times increases its weight four times. So oh, quadruple its weight. Fly a long way, yeah. So they fly onto the wall and sit there. And we sprayed the walls with insecticide. Um, 
once a year, and the um, in, incidence of malaria in the local hospital just dropped. So as a result, that was one of the, the, the observations that WHO was following up because after that they decided to, to eradicate malaria. And uh, that was now about 1950, about 1955, 56. And that's when I joined them. Um, and um, it was interesting. I'd studied entomology and I wanted to be an entomologist. And the, the, the WHO specialist who was um, seconded to the government said, you know, there's no job for you as an entomologist because we're going to get rid of malaria and you better find something else to work on. And so I, I did. I started to work on schistosomes, uh, which is, a, is schistosomiasis is a disease. It's a parasite that lives in the blood. Um, it's a worm. And these worms are about a, a, a centimeter long. They're, they're not small. And they live in the um, blood vessels that drain the gut or that drain the bladder. And um, they are completely um, um, blind to the immune system. The immune system doesn't uh, attack them. And these, 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 these parasites can, can survive for years, 10, 15, oh. 20 years in a person. And they, 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 they have a, long, a lot of effect on the population. Um, we, it's very difficult to study it because um, we, we realized that kids were being affected, but it was, you know, it, it's very difficult to um, quantify the level of incapacity that a child has that's infected with this parasite. And the other thing is that if you find them infected with the parasite, you've got to do something about curing them. You can't just say, you know, well, you've got this parasite and we want to test you. No, you, you, you have to cure them. Well, what does schistosomiasis do? Well, the parasites live um, in, the, in, the, in the blood vessels that drain the gut and they lay eggs into the, the gut wall and these eggs cause inflammation, and that allows them to get through the wall of the gut into the, the, the lumen of the gut where the food is, and they just get passed out in the excreta. And people who defecate in the river or near the river um, pass this infection. Well, they pass the eggs out. Now, the eggs, which, which are about a tenth of a... A, um, a millimeter in length. So you, you can see them under a, a low-powered microscope, but you have to have a microscope. You, you can't see them normally. These eggs, when they go into water, uh, they hatch and a larva comes out and that larva swims around and it can find c certain species of aquatic snail. And, um, and it, they're very specific. And they in, invade the snail. And then inside the snail, they develop uh, into uh, a, a parasite that emerges after about three weeks. And it, this parasite emerges from the snail. The snails don't die. They just complete, 
can, they, once they're infected, they're infected for, for the rest of their life, which is about another six, three or four months. And the, oh, but then the snails can pass it to people? And yeah, well, the, when you get in the water to swim, to bathe, or just to drink, that these, these larvae go through your skin in, 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 in a short period of time because they secrete enzymes that can drill through the skin and the lava then gets through into your blood, and it takes about six weeks to become an adult. Okay. And and uh, and then it does the cycle again. And and what we found, of course, over years is that children um, who are infected don't learn well at school. It's very debilitating. But if you treat the children and eliminate the para- parasites then they go back to normal again. So kids used to do badly in school and the parents would be complaining and take the, the, the child to the doctor. And the, it, the, the doctors in the, it, they knew about Bilhazia, about schistosomiasis, because it was a very common infection in kids. Um, and, uh, but it was very difficult to treat because the drugs were vicious drugs. I mean, they really made you sick. You had to, some of them, you had to go into hospital for about a week and have a, a continuous injection of the, the drug. At a low, I guess the, um, the good point is there's, there's many potential checkpoints where you can interfere with schistosomiasis and, uh, you know, its, its abilities, you know, when it's in a snail, when it's in a person, before it's become an adult, etc. So like what, what therapies have uh, have been found to work with it? Ah, well, so th- th- there were drugs which were based on a- antimony, and right. antimony is toxic like arsenic. So they had they th- these were injected into people antimony tartrate, and that was when I started work. And then the, the pharmaceutical company Bayer in Germany found a drug, a drug that could be made into pills and used to, to treat people. Um, and they had two or three of these um, different drugs over about a 10-year period. And in the 1970s, they came out with the final one, which was really very effective because it was innocuous. You could take it without getting sick, and it cured the infection. And that's what they use still now. At what point in the infective cycle do you use it? Does it work at all points or only certain ones? No, it kills the adult. It kills the oh. adult. Yeah. It kills the adult uh, schistosomiasis or the adult? Yes, the adult schistosomiasis, not the adult. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wonder, you know, I wonder if there's any medicines like that. They only work in children, you know, not adults. I'm sure there no, is. no, it works very well. Adults can take it. Children can take it. The problem is that, you know, when, when these pharmaceutical companies design these drugs, um, they have a period of about 10 years when others are not allowed to make copies of them. Um, but w- with, with, with this Praziquantel, the drug that, that, that was made in Germany, in, in, in after about 10 years, um, it was made... It was made um, in, in many parts of the world, because schistosomiasis is in China, it's in um, 
the Philippines, it's in South America, it's, it's, it's all over Africa, and it really is debilitating. And what, what people have done, I mean, spent a lot of time and money is in trying to treat school children, mass drug administration. In fact, in Brazil, they decided that if more than 25% of the kids in a class were infected, they would just treat the whole class. They wouldn't even bother. And uh, this is what they do now. I mean, people are asked, uh, they have to um, sign a, um, an agreement form. If, if you're going to do one of these mass drug administ- administration courses, and then they treat everybody as, um, in, in, in a short period of time. And of course, they, they, the doctors or the nurses or, or the clinical staff keep an eye on the ones that were treated, but they don't get sick from it. It's very, the drug is quite innocuous. But the problem, of course, is that this is curing your infection. And if you go back and sit in the water, you'll get reinfected. And this is what has happened. It's very difficult to eliminate this parasite. And people have been working, and I I worked on this all my life. And um, I, I remember when the Gates Foundation were very strong in supporting programs to treat school children all over the areas where they, where, they're, where this parasite occurs. And they introduced that they paid for it. And the, the research workers, mainly this work was done from as people at, uh, at the University of Georgia in, in, in Athens. They were right. the ones that got the money from Gates. And after, and this was started about 2004, 2005, and here we are now, 2020, and the, the kids in the field are just the same infected because reinfection, the cure for schistosomiasis is improving sanitation. And this is what we did actually in Zimbabwe. We designed toilets that people could afford if, if you design a, a pit latrine properly, there's no odor in it. There's no smell. And actually, people use the, use the toilets as a bathroom. So they would they'd go into a toilet with a bucket of water and defecate yeah. and wash themselves, and the water all goes downhill. And the, the toilets don't fill up because it's thin, because the, the, the feces breaks down with bacterial... Uh, a bacterial effect, and it doesn't fill up, and the toilets are odorless. And this has been was done in Zimbabwe. It was done in in Rhodesia still in the 1970s, and then it, it, it's all been published. But yet, and I I I work in Zambia a lot now, and I can go into the field, and people build toilets the old way, just a hole in the ground, and and. Uh, there's no, there's no structure. There's no, if you, uh, there's no. Why is that? Mm. Why is that? Because it's all done. Everything is done. I can be a little bit cynical. Here, you see, it's not done by the government of Zambia or the government of Zimbabwe. It's done by people who come from overseas with a good, good ideas. They oh, get okay. Money, and they say we'll build a latrine. But they've never seen a, 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 a latrine. All they know is that is a latrine is a hole in the ground. 
And so they do this. And, and it's also, I mean, it's not only done by individual do-gooders, it's done by programs. I mean, uh, UNICEF build toilets, but they don't, they don't make pit latrines with, that, that are odorless. I mean, if you, if anybody's interested, all you have to do is to, to go to Google and say ventilated pit latrine. And um, you'll see the design. That's the design that we invented in Zimbabwe. It's, I wonder if um, even those porta potties in the U.S. are inferior to the design you're talking about. Well, a porta potty has to be cleaned. The right. latrine doesn't. That's what I mean. I said, I wonder yeah. even if the porta potties that they make in the U.S. or they use in the U.S. are not as good as <laughs> as these pit latrines you're describing. Sounds like it. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think Crazy. so. I mean, I but the porta potties are expensive. I mean, these people, you know, they don't have money to build to to, to build a toilet that's going to be expensive. The yeah. it has to be it has to be done with 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 minimum expense because most of the people living in rural areas live hand to mouth. I mean, they they they're peasants. They they don't have a big income. So the design has to be very simple, and it has to be odorless. It has to be structured in an appropriate way. I mean, it can be built with mud and mud bricks. It doesn't have to to be cement, and the, the only cement has to be on the on for the the floor of the the latrine. Um, and you need cement and reinforced rods. I mean, it's very easy to 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 look at how these things were designed because it's all over the. If you you know if you put the right keyword in, you'll see it in Google. I do that yeah. just to remind myself. It's easy to to get access to. So I mean, the, the sad thing is we we really haven't advanced in in eliminating schistosomiasis from most of of Africa. And and uh, it, it it it's also serious in China. The, the the problem in China is that the parasite is a little bit more difficult to deal with. The snails are different, but in Africa and South America, mainly Brazil, um, the, the the aquatic snails are there. In and if if somebody urinates into the water or defecates into the water, they get infected and then the parasite will swim around and anybody who goes in the water to swim or to uh, or to bathe or whatever you know wash their clothes wash their, their mothers wash their babies in the water yeah you so know. what what role um are you playing in all of this you know how are you uh well <laughs> What I'm trying to do now, really, because I, I mean, I go back to Africa, or have gone back recent, uh, uh, frequently, mainly to Zambia and also Zimbabwe. But um, my my real, real interest now is to improve diagnostics for these diseases, particularly schistosomiasis. But I'm working on a number of other parasites because what we found is that. If you take urine from a person who's got schistosomiasis um, and you filter that urine in the field through filter paper, yeah. you know, cones that you had in, in, in class, 
uh, conic, uh, the, the filter paper circles. You fold them so that it forms a cone and you just pour the urine through that and let it drain out and then dry the filter paper. The filter paper has to be dry. And you, you dry that, you can dry that in the sun. And then you put it in a, in a Ziploc bag with a desiccant and the DNA is stable. It'll last for years. And you take that to the lab. You can extract the DNA and you can identify schistosome, uh, hookworms, tapeworms. And now we found you can identify there's, there's a horrible tapeworm that occurs in dogs, which if humans ingest the eggs of the tapeworm, they get cysts inside their abdomen. Like when I say a cyst, it's like a ball of tissue about the size of a tennis ball. And these things hang around inside your your liver, your lungs, and there's no way to, de to detect them. But we can find DNA from the parasite in their urine. And this is what I've been working on and still work on and hope to uh, publish a paper within the next month or so on, 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 on this sort of work. Yeah, because, because this looking for DNA is much more is, is much more sensitive. You, you get low-level infections. Right. Well, very good. Well, well Clive, um, it's really cool to talk to this. So many awesome things that you've experienced, you know, with animals and living in the bush and everything. But um, <laughs> but for now, you know, unfortunately, we're out of time. But okay. what, what's the best way for people to find out more about schistosomiasis and your work? Where can they go? Well, you know, Wikipedia is very good. Get good information from, from Wikipedia. And, and that's about the best place to get some, and the, the information they have is, is is very accurate. So that's that's probably the easiest place to get. So if you just type in schistosomiasis on Wikipedia, you will get three or four pages of stuff. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, very good. Well, Clive, thanks for coming, and it's Not great to all. talk to you. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was a pleasure. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.